Good morning, everybody. My name's Craig, if you didn't get that earlier. I'm reading from Ephesians 6, verses 1 through to 4. And so, Samuel, listen up. This is for my family. It says, just read me in Ephesians 6. Sorry, small. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Craig. Next has left me. Feel very alone up here. Good morning, everyone. Okay, we're swapping sides. I'm not a left-handed preacher. But I'm going to have to Just keeping it fresh. I'm standing on the side. <laughs> it's great. There you go. Okay, my right-hand gal. It's great to be together. This is our um, final installation of Relate and our final installation of Tag Team Preaching for the year. Um, how's it been, Nix? Yeah, someone said, ah, oh, we can only handle two. It's very intense preparing. <laughs> if, and and like the, you can imagine the week we've had in between preparing a talk on marriage and now preparing a talk on parenting. So it's been rough. It's been a week of quite literally, Rod said to me yesterday, something happened in the car. And um, I said something to the kids. Actually, no, it was we were arguing. And, um, <laughs> and I said... It was for the first time in about 15 years we, we <laughs> argued. But anyway... And I basically said to him how, I'm really letting it all out now, but how angry I was with him. And actually, if he wants to patch things up, it's up to him. And this is, there you go. And he was like, um, did you remember what you said on Sunday? So I said to her, who goes first? And she says, what are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about what you said six days ago. Who goes first? Um, so that part about when we said we're really not preaching from our expertise, very grateful for the text. The same goes for today. Um, we are preaching on parenting today, speaking about that battle relationship. And um, again, um, similar to, you know, last week where we said we've only been married for 12 years, our oldest child is not yet nine. So we are still kind of fresh into the parenting journey. Um, we by no means uh, think of ourselves as experts um, by any stretch of the imagination. And so uh, most of what we're saying today comes from the text, hopefully, and lots of wisdom that we've learned from other people, many of whom are in this very room. So um, I feel like this is a talk that has in many ways been collaboratively, collaboratively shaped by many people who have um, parented us in, in the family of God as well. So thank you. Yeah. And, and I think um, just to, to speak to everyone, maybe you're not a parent. Maybe you, um, you feel like parenting might not be exactly where you're at and you're going, why did I come to a parenting talk? I could be surfing right now. Um, I think there's going to be something for all of us here in that um, we've all had a relationship with parents, whether close or complicated, um, this is going to help us process. It's going to help us to, to realize that it's not just about having little kids that are uh, under our care when it comes to talking about parenting. Actually, our relationship with our parents follows us whether our parents are with us, whether our parents are alive. There is a sense at which there is always a, a, a parenting reality. And not to mention that we're in a church that um, on any given Sunday could be upwards of 90 to 100 kids uh, swarming this campus, 
And, uh, and parenting isn't always about biological children. Parenting is about seeing that uh, we have a, uh, some young people that God has called us to, to raise up in the instruction and the wisdom of God. And that's why whenever we do baby dedications, we look at our congregation and we say, not only do these parents take responsibility, do we too take responsibility? And it's a really intentional moment where we look at our congregation and we say, parenting is a team effort. And so you don't need to be married with children to realize that if you're part of the family of God, you've got a kind of parental role. There's something to be said for our responsibility as we um, parent together. We had a parenting to... moment this um, week. Do you want to tell us about yesterday, the girls watching The Sound okay, of so Music? we're watching The Sound of Music, and um, it's interesting. I don't know if anyone knows the story of The Sound of Music. Um, there's uh, Captain Von Trapp. He loses his wife, and uh, in the pain of losing his wife, he becomes really grumpy, and he's a, he's a captain, so he's got his whistle, and uh, he gets really grumpy, and the kids run at, at his beck and call. If he blows the whistle, they line up. And, uh, and our kids love, you know, watching Do, Re, Mi and all the beautiful songs. But um, they ask the question, um, why is Captain Von Trapp so incredibly grumpy, Mum? And I'm listening from the other room. And uh, she said, Nikki says, you know, because, like, he's lost his wife and it's just really tricky for him. And because of that and he's processing his life, he's really sad and his sadness is coming out as anger. And our youngest daughter goes, if you die, will dad become like that? <laughs> I don't know what and you I said, said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but we're in an interesting part of Scripture here. I want you to remember that in the beginning of chapter 5, or at least in verses 18, as we move into the marriage and parenting dynamics, Paul has been writing and he's going, he's talking about the spirit-filled life. He's talking about what does it look like for a community to live full of the Spirit, to live in a way that reflects the Jesus way, the, the life of Christ. And what's happening here is that really um, Paul is carrying on in that theme. And he, he says, uh, be filled with the Spirit, sing to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is a community like no other. He's turning the world upside down. It's a revolutionary kingdom that is beginning to start on earth. And then he goes, let me start with marriage. Marriage is, is going to not look like any other marriage that you've seen. And, and parenting too. And he starts to speak to parents about how they ought to parent their kids. And uh, it really does continue this journey of, I suppose, flipping the world upside down and how um, the kingdom works. And a reminder that this is a letter that's written to um, a church, the church in Ephesus. And like we said last week, this letter would be read out loud to the whole gathering of, of people. And so similar with, with marriage last week, they wouldn't have said, okay, now we're going to read the marriage part. So if you're married, come and listen to it. Actually, they intended for everyone to hear it. And the same with parenting. Um, and even to children, I can I almost like to imagine what my kids are like in a, a gathering of mainly adults, and uh, possibly they're a little bit fidgety, they're very distracted, they're probably not listening to the person in the front who's reading the letter, um, maybe even one of the few of the children have fallen asleep, they're probably making a noise, and then suddenly the person from the front says, children, and their ears prick up. They, okay, now someone's speaking to me, and the first word after that comes after children is, obey. 
they're like, ah, we're done. <laughs> we're not going to listen to the rest of this. But um, just that, that sense that actually that reminder from Moses that he, this, this talk, this, these words to children and these, these words about parenting, they come after the mention of the spirit-filled life. They come after the mention of submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. They come after speaking to um, the, the mother and the father, the, the in, people in the marriage, and then he addresses children. And there is, it's quite widely accepted that he, this is not just like a blanket call to all children. God says, you must obey me. Actually, this may have been, it's suggested, that there would be a level of maturity amongst the children that were being told to obey their parents in this passage of Scripture. And at least they were part of the family of God. He's not kind of going, everyone, every child in Ephesus. He's going to this church, this community. So next, maybe just talk us through where we're going with the sort of three types of parenting. Um, so we've kind of looked at this verse, that's it. and later on, if we can go back to the text, it says, um, fathers, do not exasperate your children. In some other translation, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So two ways that we can most exasperate our children is either to make their lives all about them. We've called that a child-centered version of parenting or over-parenting. Or another way which we can exasperate our children is that we can make it all about us and we make it a parent-centered version of parenting or we can underparent them. But there's a third way. You guessed it. It is the Christ-centered way of the parenting. The Christ-centered way. Yeah, <laughs> the Christ-centered way of parenting. And that is uh, where we're going to spend the most of our talk today, but we're going to um, briefly speak to child-centered and parent-centered parenting this morning. So let's quickly look at those. I, I think... Um, maybe to start with, and I think this is the increasingly popular one, the, the, the child-centered parenting model. Um, this is the model which is probably best described by the, the, the book I, I recently read called The Coddling of the American Mind. It's this amazing sense that parents have become more and more centered around the health and the happiness of their children. If my child is happy, I am happy. And so much of our, our sense of our own worth is so connected to our children. And uh, the child-centered model is normally driven by a few desires in parents. One, uh, or three things mainly, safety, education, and success. There's this deep desire that our kids would be safe, educated, and successful. And it becomes a kind of parenting gospel. There's this sense of, if my kids are that, safe, su uh, successful, and educated, I have succeeded and I can be happy. There's an increasing obsession with this, what um, uh, Michael uh, Haight calls safetyism. It's about making sure my kids live as safe as is possible. There's an old saying that goes, prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. But he carries on and he writes, he says, but these days we seem to be doing precisely the opposite. We're trying to clear, the way, clear away anything that might upset children, not realizing that in so doing, we're repeating what he calls the peanut allergy mistake. What's the peanut allergy mistake? An amazing study. If you have kids with peanut allergies, um, the peanut allergies are real. I get it. Uh, we've got kids with allergies ourselves. However, there was an interesting study that was done. And the study went like this. They got a bunch of kids who um, had a partial or a pro uh, propensity towards peanut allergies. And what they did was they, let, they, they, they made sure they didn't expose some to peanuts at all at a young age, and then they exposed others to peanuts. And you know what was interesting? 
was that in exposing some kids to peanuts, do you know what happened? Their allergies subsided. Their allergies actually went away as their bodies developed a kind of immunity to them at an early age. And he bases the premise of the fact that so often we try to protect our kids from anything that could be difficult and in so doing actually remove the opportunity for them to build up an immunity. Sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's physical, but he uses this analogy to, to kind of, in a way, reveal the, the parenting dynamic that is child-centered. It's about removing any obstacles along the way of their, uh, their lives to avoid any challenge. Speaking of college students, he writes and he says, so many teens have lost the ability to tolerate distress and uncertainty. And a big reason for that is the way that we parent them. He goes on to say, parents are going to ludicrous lengths to take the bumps out of, the, out of life for their children. However, parental hyperconcern has the net effect of making kids more fragile. It's interesting. There's this sense that when you try to take all the bumps out of life, you actually make your kid more fragile, not less. A famous book uh, called Anti-Fragile, and I'll read some quotes out of there in a moment. But uh, a lady by the name of Julie uh, Lithgott-Hames, she comes to this realization that she herself was going through a similar thing. She, it says she caught herself. So here I was, highly critical of parents who couldn't let go of their college students. And then, one day, when my kid was 10, I leaned over at dinner and began cutting his meat. And I realized that in, in that moment, holy cow, I'm cutting his meat and he's 10. I was babysitting other kids when I was 10, but my own kid needs to have his meat cut. What the hell is up with that? Fascinating. I think there's this sense of less and less responsibility given to kids in a sense uh, centered around their safety, but actually potentially losing their ability to grow up. What gives rise to this increasing sort of safetyism, child-centered obsession? There's a guy by the name of Skenazi. He says that societal pressures often prompt parents to engage in this worst-first thinking. Unless parents prepare for the worst possible outcomes, they are looked down on by other parents and by teachers for being bad parents or even America's worst mom. There's this sense that you're terrified. Well, our kids the other day, they asked us if they could go to the park by themselves. It's about 60 meters away from our front door. And uh, there were a few really good reasons we said no. But you know what the dominant reason in our minds was? Was not primarily that it wasn't safe. Yes, it probably isn't a good idea for a four and a six-year-old to go to the park by themselves in South Africa. But you know what the main reason was? What are the neighbors going to think? What are the neighbors going to think if there's two kids walking down the street by themselves? They're going to send out messages on our neighborhood group and shame us for the rest <laughs> of our lives. There's a social peer pressure that you need to make sure that you look like you are creating the most coddled experience for your children. A friend of mine, Lex, who preached here a while back, we were chatting actually at lunch after um, he had preached, and he said, we were talking about parenting, and, and he said, you know, it sometimes feels like parents have stopped trusting God with their kids these days. It's like they're playing God. They're trying to make sure they keep them safe all the time, that they rear them, that they produce their success, and, and that they've taken the reins back from the, the part that is actually 
God's. Let me read one more quote from uh, Nassim Nicholas uh, Taleb uh, in his book, Anti-Fragile. He opens the book with this sort of poetic image that should speak uh, to all parents. He's warning parents of the dangers of raising their kids as though they are candles and uh, rather than roaring fires. And he pulls this analogy together. And he notes that wind extinguishes a candle but energizes a fire. He advises us not to be like candles and, to, and not to turn our children into candles. You want to be the fire and wish for the wind. He's trying to say you want to create a bonfire out of your kids, not just a candle that if the slightest wind comes, it blows them out. The second way that we can exasperate our children is um, to make it all about us and make it a parent-centered view of parenting. Um, children, in this view, are quite frankly a little bit of a burden. They're necessary. They are um, kind of the next step in life, but if we're honest, they are a little bit burdensome. And uh, I've come across this uh, viewpoint quite a few times in my um, short stint of being a parent. And what I think it stems from is this intense cultural pressure that we as parents are under to live our best lives, to have it all. We need to have a career. We need to have amazing hobbies that leave us fulfilled. We need to have um, enough time in our schedule to spontaneously meet friends, you know, at the beach with food and pizza and well-behaved children. We need to have um, enough free time to exercise. We need to have adventure and we need to travel. We need to laugh. We need our home to look perfect. Basically, we need to be fulfilled and we need to perfectly express ourselves as individual people. And we really battle when anything kind of comes in the way of us doing that. And, and I think we don't realize just how much we're swimming upstream when we're choosing something different than this kind of living our best lives, comfort and ease. <clears throat> it's encapsulated in um, kind of an experience that I had quite a few times when I was pregnant, and then it's carried on now having kids. Um, and, you know, you're heavily pregnant, you've got this belly out, and uh, people come and they say, oh, you know, when are you due? And you tell them you're quite happy, and, you know, you're and they say, the smile drops, and they say, it's your first. Yeah, it's my first. Sleep now. <laughs> you're like, like you'll never sleep again. You're like, okay, thanks. You know, it's, the baby is coming out. Like, it's too late now. We can't turn back. <laughs> and they make these kind of snide comments. And then, you know, a precious newborn, this baby comes out. You hold, you just, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you, holding this literal bundle of joy. People go, oh, how's your baby? You know, smile, smile, smile. Wait till the terrible twos. You're like, no, well, I actually have a two-year-old. You know, it's my third. Oh, just wait till they're teenagers. You're like, come on, people. <laughs> my kids can all hear you. You know, they're like all listening. My kids are all like, what's going to happen when we're teenagers? We're even scared. <laughs> but, you know, it's just this, yeah, this, um, this sense that children are a burden. They're a little bit, as I said, they're necessary but they kind of can sometimes get in the way. And we're not saying that these are, you know, the parents who are literally neglecting their children. It just means that actually it's parents who are quick to say, we deserve hobbies and we deserve careers, and not that any of those things are bad. It's just that we, we're kind of putting our own, our own needs first. The symptoms here often are things like excessive screen time, lack of boundaries, over-generous <clears throat> over gift-giving, a lack of connection and understanding between the parent and the child, um, the most ironic 
that we were finding as we were chatting around these two views of parenting. Um, can, can I say it? Like, so, so I'm more um, child-centered view of parenting. And, I, you know, I'll, like, be very much like, oh, no, you know, you've got to keep them all fine. Oh, they'll say, what will people think if we let them go to the park? Like I'm just like, some yes, send them to the park. Pocket yeah. Right now, just ready to protect um, one of our kids. Yeah. There's and a helmet somewhere in the other back pocket as well. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Raj was like, when they asked, can we go to the park? He's like, yeah. I'm like, no, you cannot go to the park alone. So more parent-centered, more, lots of hobbies, you know, lots of... <laughs> It's a bit of when, a when he said we'd rather be surfing, like, yeah, the waves are probably good right now. I'm joking. <laughs> they are. <laughs> um, last my point. Oh, but so both of these, these different views of parenting, ironically, one is not better than the other. And they are actually both parent-centered views of parenting. Because actually, even when I am expressing a child-centered view of parenting, I actually so deeply care about what you all think of me as a mother. And am I making right choices? And how do I appear that it's a very me-centered view still? Brilliant. So, of course, we're not uh, suggesting either of these two views are the, are the way to go. And that Paul is writing here, and he's saying there's another view. There's the Christ-centered view. There's a way that we can move forward. And Paul writes and he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this is revolutionary almost to start with by Paul looking and going, parents, your job matters. Parenting was not a crucial role and kids were not important. There was a sense of kind of the, the, the child was, was undervalued in Roman civilization in general. And here you've got Paul dignifying this beautiful role of parenting. This beautiful privilege of raising kids. And, and even as I look at you, I know there's teachers here. There's people who get to rear children, all of which needs to be seen in this amazingly high privilege. But he doesn't stop there. He says, actually, there's a, there's a way to do it. Remember, he's already said, um, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's, there's a Christ-centeredness about everything that Paul is teaching and so what we want to suggest today is what does the Christ-centered view look like? And one of the interesting little historical moments is to go back to the Industrial Revolution. You know, prior to the Industrial Revolution, basically there was quite a shareholding, uh, equal shareholding between mums and dads. They would often live on a small plot of land. They would uh, either it would be a blacksmith or a farmer or whatever it would be. And the mother and the father would live in the same home and raise the kids together. And the kids would help them to whatever, learn the trade, whether it was farming or blacksmithing or whatever else it may be. And mum and dad would raise the kids together until the Industrial Revolution, where suddenly dad is gone for 8 to 12 hours a day. Whose job is it now to raise these kids? Because dad's paying the bills to pay for the school fees, and now mom has to raise these children. And, you know, for all the goods and the bads of the Industrial Revolution, it's important to realize that it has become almost a feminine conversation to read a parenting book. You're going to find much more uh, moms reading parenting books than, than dads. And we as a church want to turn that around because Paul writes to parents and he says, you both have a crucial role. And dads, you probably need to freshly understand the importance of your role of raising your children in the ways of God. So we've got a couple of quick points around what is the uh, discipline and instruction of the Lord? What does it actually mean? And we're going to suggest a few things that parents are. Firstly, parent as teacher. Parent as teacher. 
don't know if you picked that up, but he, he talked about, uh, you know, your children raising them up um, in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about educator. I'm talking about teacher. The word discipline um, is, is an amazing word. Okay, can you all hear us? Guys, okay at the back? I'll just hold this until something changes. So the word discipline means to teach. And uh, the root word is disciple, which comes from the Latin word discipulus, meaning student. And, uh, and so really what it means is you are raising students of life. You're going to do your best to try to coach your children in what does it mean to live well, what does it mean to actually uh, follow uh, your parents in the ways of God? So our primary role, role as parents is to discipline our kids, but not to discipline them in the punishment reward system. Because I think when you think discipline, you think, don't do this, you'll get punished. Do this, you won't get punished. You'll get some sort of reward. But actually, it's to teach. It's to explain why. Parenting requires so much Patience. I honestly think if I could redo this talk again, I'd say if you want to be a parent, you need to learn patience because you just keep repeating the same lesson over and over and over until your children get it. And it doesn't matter how old they are. There's this sense of repetition as part of parenting. And if you want to grow in, in yourself, you're going to grow in patience, become a parent. So what are you teaching them? You're teaching your kids to know God in Jesus Christ. It's one of your primary roles as a parent is to help your child to understand that in Jesus Christ, God has shown himself to the world. And this is the prototype human being. He has come to show the world what God is like. If you've seen me, said Jesus, you've seen the Father. So show your children who Jesus is. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. There is so much beauty and there is so much brokenness. And we are called to help our kids to understand that in Inside all of us, there is beauty and there is brokenness. And it's Jesus who comes to expose the beauty and to restore the brokenness. And it's our task to teach them that. There's no one else we can outsource that to. We're also called to teach them who they are and whose they are. And to trust God that there will come a time where they themselves will put their faith in Jesus and say, I am his. He created me. He's the one who loves me. It's in Jesus that I can find the true meaning of life. And so our, our job is to teach them into that. We teach them uh, identity. I, I wish I had more time in a world that is so confused around identity and, and gender and those kinds of dynamics. I don't have enough time to speak into the full gambit of the complexity of that conversation Needless to say that we as Christian parents teach our children that God has given us our identity and he has assigned us who we were created to be, whether male or female. And we only need to look at ourselves to understand how he's made us. Here's the beauty, though, of the gospel, and here's the beauty of the Psalms. The Psalms say that you can be honest with God. There's a handful of people who look down and go, I wish you hadn't made it this way. Oh, the gospel's so good. Take it to God. You can complain till your heart's content. There is one God who will listen to you, who will love you through it, and who will help you to understand all the pains and the problems that you have with yourself can be solved in Jesus Christ. 
and yet he will make sense of our own limitations and the own, our own realities of learning to accept how God has made us. By the way, if you want to go into the big kind of gender, sexuality conversation, Common Ground Rondebosch, our brilliant uh, friends uh, over there, have done a much more extensive journey into that, and you might want to track some of the preaching that they've done into that. could be really helpful. Hey, you're teaching your kids how to live, what to love and what to hate, what to uh, despise and what to cherish. That's our job. They're going to learn it mainly by just watching, um, but sometimes by actually teaching. Hey, we're going to teach our kids to put character before career. We live in a world that says who you're becoming. And you know what? We don't want to ask the question who you're becoming because of your career, but who you're becoming based on your character. What's your vision for who your children are becoming? And don't look at what you, the, the thing that comes out of your mouth. Look at your daily habits and look at what your kids see and look at your own lifestyle because your kids are going to do more of what you do than what you say. That's the saddest, scariest part of parenting. They don't do what we say. They do what we do. And if I idolize my career or my church, my kids are probably going to do the same or they're going to respond uh, in some kind of uh, countermeasure to try fix their dad's issues of some sort of idolatry. Our task is to, I suppose, model to them something of character before career or competency or anything like that. The second um, way that we can parent in a Christ-centered view of parenting is to parent for long-term trust. And um, this is something, again, that I often have to deal with. And um, just the other day, I was thrown. I'm often, you know, I don't know if there's any other parents who overthink things, like have I ruined my child for life because I left them crying at school, drop off, hey, anyone else? That's me. Um, and the other day I'm thinking, have I ruined my kids for life because I always nag them about, I'm a little bit OCD, our house basically always looks like someone just came to clean it, even though they didn't. It was just me. I was just cleaning the house. And, um, and she means just her, not me. I'm not bitter about it like, at all, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any good counselors? <laughs> Um, but, you know, I said to Roger, and I was kind of just reached this moment of, you know, you're just like venting. I said, I don't know if I'm, am I ruining these kids because I just nag at them all the time to pick their stuff up? But they, and then are they going to grow up to be these like messy adults who just like rebel against what their mom said to them and they're never going to clean up? But if I don't nag them, then are they, are they, is the same thing going to happen and they're never going to pick up? Either way, messy kids, like I'm going to fail. You know, what do I do? And so we're talking and then, you know, I make you always sound like you've got all these wise things, very wise husband. But he said, you know, just remember that you're not parenting kids who know how to pick their stuff up. Like, that's not the goal. A, a tidy house is not the goal. Someone who always looks like they've got it together is not the goal. We're parenting for this long view in mind of their character and who they're becoming. And if that's the goal, if long-term trust is the goal, then our parenting looks very different. And I'm trying to unlearn a whole lot of stuff. But I would ask you, if you've got small kids, like we do, try and imagine when they're older, what kind of relationship you would want with that child. Some of you have older kids, and you, we look at those relationships, and I think, I want that. I, I dream that my kids will um, you know, come to me when they're struggling with something and feel like they can speak openly with me. I dream of them um, not asking us for permission, but including us in, in hard decisions that they make. I hope that my daughters 
if they mess up, they make a mistake, that I'll be the first person that they come to, or at least that they trust me, that they don't think that I'm going to just bark at them for making a mistake, but that mom and dad are a safe place to come to, that there is trust. But how do we get there? Because it starts now. My young, our youngest child is four, and there's already been four years of building that trust. I think it starts from, we can start at such a, an, a young age. And the better news, I did read this in this week of, of preparing, is that it's never too late to start building trust. So if you feel like, wow, the relationship with my child, they actually don't trust me because I did do X, Y, and Z, and I feel like I've broken that trust. It's not too late to rebuild that trust. Um, so how do we lay the foundation? The first thing I want to say is be present with our kids. You know, if, if we're teaching our children in the training and instruction of the Lord, surely the way that we teach them should represent the character of this God that we're teaching them about. And God is an incarnational God. He came to be with us. We need to be present with our kids. Are our lives too busy that we see them sometimes meaningfully for three hours a day? We need a, that's, that's not enough. We need to fight for time to be with our children. I'm not saying one-on-one dates all the time and sit playing Uno all the time and come play with me. And every time they ask you, say yes, not that. That's actually a child-centered view of parenting. But to be available, be available to answer those silly questions all the time. Be available to listen when they say, mommy, can I show you something? Can I tell you about something that happened today? Because when we listen and we're present in those little moments, one day when they're 14, 16, 18, 35, mommy, can I show you something? I didn't think this would be so emotional, but it is. Okay. The other quick one is um, to trust. Trust your children. We were brought up to, uh, to think that children are not trustworthy. They're always trying to manipulate us. They're not really full. They're not really hungry. They, you know, don't, children can't lead themselves at all. They can't read their own cues. Actually, can we teach our kids that they actually do know themselves and can read their own kind of body cues by trusting them and teaching them that they can know themselves? We need to trust them. And that lays a foundation of trust. Um, the third one is, is honesty, being honest with our own, um, in our own conversation. And, and um, that really speaks to the, the important conversations about bodies changing, where babies come from, death, um, how the world works. Our words are quite literally teaching our children what is true about the world. And so things like idle threats or things like little stories that kind of are easier to tell than the truth, they're confusing for our children. And, and as they grow up, that kind of erodes the trust when they actually realize that's not how babies came to be in the world. But why did you tell me that that was? Um, so just to, to um, really kind of build trust in those conversations. And then just a side note, I think on here, many of us, um, and I've spoken to many of us, we share these views. We have our own kind of hangovers of shame and um, that kind of thing from our own childhoods. And this is just a moment, to, let's deal with those before we kind of pass them on to our children. So whether it's having those conversations, especially around the things, more awkward things about sex and our bodies and all those things, deal with your own shame that you have so that when you're having those conversations, shame is not a part of that. Listen to your kids, as we've said, when they, when they're, when they chat. Be unsurprised, unfazed when they share things that are shocking. Maybe later when they close the door, you kind of look at each other and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that. But, you know, if you're unfazed, then later on they'll feel like, oh, nothing phases mom. I can kind of tell her anything. Um, and then kind of one thing that Raj said that we just want to double click on is that thing of getting our own emotional life in check. Because the way of building trust is... Um, 
kind of not being a volatile parent yourself. And like, I know this is something I need to work on. Is that, you know, not either blowing up or becoming overly emotional about things that are unnecessarily so, but, but doing the deep work in ourselves so that actually as a parent, you are trustworthy and you are emotionally stable to be that uh, trustworthy place for your child. Brilliant. And then the, the third one is, is kind of parent as, as child. Parent as child. The, the parent-centered parent <laughs> isn't just obsessed with hobbies necessarily or trying to get their own time. Sometimes they're obsessed with control. The parent-centered parent often wants to, um, in a sense, micromanage the outcome of their child. If I read enough parenting books and I follow enough blogs about parenting, I will become the world's greatest parent and I can micromanage my child's outcome and everything will be dandy. And you know what? You are just a child of God. I don't say just a child of God. What I mean is, is that we just didn't, uh, when our child popped out one day, we didn't just get given everything we need for great parenting. You didn't just, there wasn't just this magical moment where suddenly you are endowed from heaven with perfect parenting skills. You are just the same person often that you feel like you were when you were 18 or 19, and you're going, oh my gosh, how do I do this? What am I doing with this human being in my hands? And you know what happens is I think we tend towards the sort of fake it till you make it kind of thing. And we close the doors, and I've watched it with lots of parents, especially in the early stage, and they go, don't tell me what to do. And they become unteachable and unhungry to learn about how to parent and how to really raise kids. And, and it becomes this like, you know, the, the walls around our home become the walls around our humility, <laughs> around actual parenting. And we are still children of God and needing to learn how to parent. And I'd really encourage us, if we've got into those unhealthy habits where we become an echo chamber of our own thoughts around parenting, you know what? You're going to need to read some books. You're going to need to learn some stuff. You might agree with th some. You may disagree with others. But be careful not to think you're the finished product, that you're a parent who's got it all together and your ways and your mom's ways and your dad's ways and your grandparents and great-grandparents, they just had it down. The world has changed. The life has changed. And we need to keep asking God for today's wisdom, for today's challenges. And so consider yourself still a child of God, still needing to learn from God the Father, Lord, I need you to parent me. Because to be honest, I still sometimes feel like a 17-year-old and a 39-year-old's body, and I've got some learning to do. And I still don't always have all the emotional answers, and I still feel a little vulnerable around this stuff. So coach me because I don't want to be a grumpy 68-year-old who's lost my kids along the way because I didn't learn from you how to process, how to deal with my own life, how to become a mature man or woman who can take my kids along. Um, and that's about realizing we're kids. <laughs> We've got a father who wants to father us, and, he, and he'll father us uh, by his word. He's going to father us in community. Parenting is a, is a village effort. We're going to need to do this together, so we're going to have to ask each other for help. There are some of the most incredible parents in this community to keep asking for wisdom and guidance as we go through the various stages of parenting. But man, oh man, don't isolate yourself and pretend you've got it all together and just present happy little Johnny when he's happy and then go back to the devastating, scary world of Johnny behind closed doors. He, is, uh, he, can, he can change, and you could get some help to raise him. 
Uh, the fourth one is to parent with loving boundaries or love-filtered boundaries. And remember that loving is um, kind of what is best for our child's character and who they're becoming, not just what makes them happy in the moment. So it's that long-term view of parenting. And um, there's, there's this beautiful line of Scripture that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And we get to demonstrate that to our children as well. We get to parent our children full of grace. That means that when they make mistakes, when they mess up, when they struggle, when they're too much for us, we meet them just where they are. And we, we show them, we model, our, our love for you is unconditional. I'm always here from you. We're full of grace. But at the same time, we're full of truth, 100% grace and 100% truth, where we say, actually, there is a way to live this life that God has taught us. There's a way to thrive. And we don't dictate our own truth as adults, and we don't let our children dictate our own truth, their own truth as children. Because just like God said, we, we parent as children. Follow me as I follow God, and we show our children there is a way to thrive, and I'm going to teach you how to do that. And that is through love, um, loving boundaries. I don't know about you, but for me, often parenting is either just way too tiring. And so, you know, all those questions of, mom, can I have another suite? Can I watch another program after we've only said we would watch one episode? Can I actually go to bed at half past seven instead of seven? It's like the relentless pushing back of boundaries. And I'm just so tired. I'm like, yes, have the suite, watch more Daniel Tiger, go, whatever. I'm just so tired. So it's too tiring. Or on the other side, it becomes a power struggle. So I've now said no to the not extra suite. And because I said no, probably should have just said yes and let them have another extra suite. I mean, really. But now it's become a power struggle. Please, can I? No, please, can I? No, no, you can't because I said you can't. It becomes a power struggle. But actually, loving boundaries is kind of in, in the middle of that. This is not, a, boundaries are not a power struggle to win. Um, and they're also not just something that we should have for the reason of them. That's why we're saying loving boundaries. It's also okay to hold a boundary as a parent that is very difficult for our child to come to terms with and to even um, give them compassion in that moment. I'm so sorry that this upsets you so much that you can't watch more Daniel Tiger after we have said that they can, or you can only watch one episode. Uh, the boundaries that we establish for our children should not be mainly focused on behavior modification, but rather on character development and how we thrive as a family. You know what your family needs, and that's why it's so important to have a vision for what kind of family are we nurturing? What is the culture of this family? What am I hoping for my child and who they become? And, and we don't discuss those boundaries or like kind of dream them up in, in front of the child on the moment, but we have, with God, prayerfully considered those loving boundaries. And there's a call here in this verse from Paul to, for parents to teach their children, parents to bring their children up, to raise their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. And it's so obvious that we might miss it, and I don't want us to miss it. The, the onus is on us. The responsibility is on us as parents to raise our children, not to outsource it to um, screens or other people primarily. Yes, other people sometimes care for our children at different stages of the day, but primarily it is our role to bring our children up. And kind of just a side note on screens, because it's such a screens and devices and social media, it's so big that we have to look at it. I don't think anyone in this room is um, unaware of the negative effects of, of screen time. I know for me, where do we learn about the negative effects on screen time? While we're scrolling through social media, later and I'm like, oh yeah, save that one, that is so good. Um, and here I am, just keep scrolling. Um, but in case you needed any more um, kind of reminder, just the, the, the negative effects that screens and social media, especially when there are no boundaries in place. Um, it's just, it's devastating what it's doing to our children. And what our kids are exposing themselves to, not only on negative content, like you may, we can say, oh, our kids are only watching great stuff, or it's educational, or whatever that may be, 
it's, it's, it's still the kind of outsourcing, the breaking in connection. I'm not saying don't let your kids watch stuff and there's a time for great movies and there's a time to enjoy things together on screens. This is not that, but to thoughtfully be participating in it and thoughtfully as a family going, what does it look, for, look like for us? What do boundaries on social media look like for us? And what do boundaries look like on screen time? Children are, you know, this says uh, parents don't exasperate your children. Children are exasperating themselves in terms of what they are seeing, what they're exposed to, and how difficult it is to them for them to live in that space. It is such a hard world. It's impossible. It's nothing like any of us who are over um, the age of 27 have ever seen. We don't know what it's like. And so we as parents need to get in the way of them and do everything that we can to protect them from that, even if it's uncomfortable and hard for them and hard for us to hold those boundaries. But let's fight for our children in this space because um, who else will? It's our responsibility. That's all I'll say about that. Brilliant. I came up with three S's, sugar, screens, and sleep. There you go. Three big S's that could probably, um, if you could monitor those, especially for younger kids, but probably for actually all of us, to be honest, yeah. sugar, screens, and sleep. As you get older, I found those three becoming more crucial to my health. <laughs> Let me land with this one. Paul writes and he says, honor your parents. Honor your mother and your father. And um, I want to suggest finally that we parent with honor, that we parent with honor, and that in fact we start with forgiveness. Maybe as I'm doing this, I'll ask the band to come up, and I want to, I want to challenge you today. I want to ask you, I suppose, a, an interesting question, because when I talk about parenting, for uh, much of our time, we're, we're either listening with our own kids in mind but we sometimes need to be listening with our own parents in mind. I don't know what your relationship with your parent has been like uh, over the years, but uh, Tim Keller kind of talks about this important reality where first he says children obey your, your parents right in the beginning, and that he's talking to young children. He's talking to probably, you know, five to 15-year-olds, saying obey your parents. And then he, he changes and he says, then he says, but we must honor our parents, and that's interesting. He suddenly changes. He doesn't just go children. He goes, everyone needs to learn to honor their parents. Now, he gets really wise here because Paul isn't saying, listen, he doesn't say, there's a bunch of words he could have said besides honor. He could have said, trust them always, but he doesn't. He could have said, obey them unconditionally, but he doesn't say obey them unconditionally. He could have said, admire them forever. But there's a problem, right? There's a problem. We, we, we read Psalm 103. We come from the dust. There's beauty, but there's also brokenness. There's many of us who look at our parents and we go, there was very little to trust in them. There wasn't much that I should obey. If I had obeyed them, I would have hurt myself or others. In fact, to admire them would be pretty tricky. And so there's many of us who look at, and there's this really weird relationship we have, but Paul writes and he says, Honor your parents. He says the first command that comes with a promise. There's a sense of, of flourishing that comes with this concept of honor. And, and theologians say that uh, there's this theory that basically if you honor your parents, you, you maintain the unity of the nation, and the nation continues to hold its, its ethos and its values. And the same could be true of the church and the families we're trying to develop is to have honor. But, but what do you do? Because it's not easy to trust obey, admire, especially as time passes by? What if they were addicts? How do you trust them always? What if their advice simply was poor? How do you obey them? 
How do you admire them if their life simply wasn't admirable? Paul didn't say that. He said, honor them. And Tim Keller writes beautifully, and he says, you know, actually, honor is to choose ways in which you can creatively and importantly show a level of dignity to your parents despite their shortcomings. That we would find culturally appropriate ways to, to honor them. Maybe it's on birthdays to make sure that you are doing everything you can to make your parents know that you see them, that you acknowledge them, that you recognize them, that you cherish them. Despite how difficult that may be for some of us. Figure out what makes them feel honored. I've had 10 days with my parents coming down from KZN, and I was so grateful to be going through this very thing because I know the trigger conversations. I do DIY with my dad, and things begin to get a little feisty. We have different ways. I'm okay. Do you know how you honor somebody who's your parent in those moments? Sometimes it's by saying nothing. Sometimes it's by saying, you know what, let's fix this tomorrow. Let's go do something else. Why don't we find something else to do? Because fixing this pump is probably not bringing the best out of me. And actually, just find something else to do. Or you actually go, you know what? Why don't you just do that? I'm going to go fix some lunch, and I'll see you in a bit. The, the, the joy of choosing what not to say and finding ways to honor is such an important thing. The fact is, is that all of us can find a way to honor our parents, no matter how unhealthy things may have gotten. Hey, one of the ways Tim Keller says is respect their need to see themselves in you. What an amazing thought that somehow in some ways you get to say, you go, you know, one thing I've learned from you, you always told us. There's a lot of things you, couldn't, you, don't, you shouldn't say, and I found that really important this week. But there's a lot of things you can say thanks for. There's a lot of ways you can recognize and you can honor. And it's so important because it comes with a promise. It comes with a promise of flourishing. But Tim Keller says, what's the most important way to honor your parents? He says to forgive them. He says forgive them. Forgive them. Why? Because it is the first time. The only way you can truly honor them is when you're free to displease them. So many of us live in this desire to please our parents, whether it's your mother or your father, to just have some deep sense that the person said over your life, well done, I see that. And you never seem to have got it, not the way you wanted it. And you know what? The ability to simply forgive, to simply say, I forgive you. You don't have to say it out loud to them, but in your heart to be able to say, I now have the ability to displease you even though I don't want to because I'm not living to please you. I have found a new person to please. His name is God the Father. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus showing us a way to a father who really is pleased, who really does love us, who really does take us into the fold and does affirm us the way that we need to be affirmed, who does teach us the way we need to be taught, who does disciple us the way we need to be discipled. And the first time you can truly honor your parents is when you forgive them and you come out of the shadow of needing so desperately to know that you're valid under them. What if you step out today? What if you actually say, I no longer need to please you? I found one who's already pleased. I found one who's already lived for me, who's already died for me, and I live under his pleasure. What if today you receive the fact that there's nothing more to prove? 
There's a handful of us who've just had perfect parents, and you, you go, actually, I've got no issues with my parents. I've got no one to forgive. Here's one thought for you, is step out from any chance of idolizing them. You still need a perfect father in heaven. Your parents were never perfect, and God designed it that he would be your perfect father. So yes, it's great that you've got good parents. One thing is to say, thank you, God. The other one is to go, God, keep coaching me so that I can grow off a strong base, that I wouldn't idolize their parenting, and I wouldn't show it off, but I would find myself happy under your parenting. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, today we, we honor you for your love. We ask you for grace to coach us as we parent, Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for showing us what the Father is like in your love and in your life. God, for some of us, we are personally centered on ourselves. For others of us, we may be a bit more centered on our kids and a bit, bit obsessive. I pray that you would help us to see which side of the coin we tend to be and that you would help us to be Christ-centered. That out of reverence for you, we would continue on this journey of patiently and lovingly and caringly rearing our kids. The privilege is huge, but the journey is long. God, I pray that we would realize that in some ways the journey is long, but in other ways there's something like 18 summers and then we let our kids go into the world into the maturity levels that we've put inside of them and I pray that we would be intentional about that God that we would be guided by your spirit that you would fill us daily with your spirit that we would see what matters most what we should model most to our kids for those of us who need to forgive to step out from the shadow and to be free to displease our parents as the first opportunity to truly honor them, to not long for their approval, but to know that we found your approval. And in that, probably to please them more than we give a good. Come free us by your spirit and coach us in the gospel. We pray this in your name. There's gonna be people up front. If you'd love to pray with anyone, we've got some leaders up here. Even while we're singing, maybe you'd just like to pray through anything. This is a gap for us as a church, just to respond to God and His grace and to let Him parent us. And uh, maybe we need some community and there's some, some really uh, mature leaders who'd love to pray with you. So let's sing together.